Welcome to the National Bicycle Greenway's Mountain Mover Podcast Series. Here you will get up close and personal with people who are taking giant steps for the betterment of cyclists and for the planet itself. I'd like to introduce my listeners to the woman who I know is going to help me make the National Bicycle Greenway real. Far more than young and beautiful, she is the most very determined powerhouse who really knows no limits. A native of Ireland, I'd like to introduce you to my wife, Virginia Krieg. Hello, Virginia. Hi, Martin. Okay, let's get right into it. Um, you and I were eight time zones apart, a 10-hour plane flight away. Why don't you begin by telling everyone here how we met? Yes, sure, Martin. Um, we met, as you know, um, online uh, through um, relations of mine who were living close to you and um, we continued to email each other and and the emails progressed into Skype phone calls and um, we really got to know each other pretty well and um, then we both felt a strong connection and we wanted to meet each other so you thankfully came over you took the initial step and came over to see me in ireland and spent a month here and um i then went over to america with you and um here we are now today very early in life you had a head injury of your own almost like somewhat of a near-death experience can you explain what happened? It was something to do with a stick in your throat that nearly severed the base of your brain or something like that? Yes, sure, Martin. Um, I guess you could say, I don't know about it being a, a near-death um, experience. Um, it, it, it was pretty serious at the time. I was quite young when it happened, but old enough to remember it. Um, Basically, we were just playing around as, as kids and as you do. And um, I just so happened to have a stick in my mouth, which was forced back up to the roof of my mouth. And um, it uh, nearly did some serious damage. And I spent many weeks in hospital. And um, I was in intensive care and I was under... Um, a lot of supervision with, with doctors and that and basically was told I was lucky to be be alive and, and, and lucky to actually be alive and, and not be a vegetable um, and uh, yeah it, it happened as I said many many years ago but I remember it very very vividly. Okay it caused you to see some things differently that I think it was at that point that you um, began to know that you were different? Is that, I, I know there was some kind of undertone, undercurrent that, that you had that explanation for me one time. Is it, that's how I even knew that. That was a part of your life. How, can you go into a little bit of detail about that? Um, yeah, sure. I guess um, it probably changed me, um, that whole experience. Um, it certainly um, kind of, um, how should I say it? it, it made me see things differently to um, a lot of people that were around me and um, 
I, I appreciated life and valued life and um, I saw things that people would see to be very important. I didn't see them as, as you know, of much importance as in I um, always believed in um, seeing things from the heart and, and, you know, I wasn't a very world person, if you like. Um, I liked I liked simple and um, I just kind of stayed on a path that was slightly different to to um, my friends and, and and my siblings and that. Um, I don't know, did it did make me more mature or, or had me ahead of my years or, or what you'd say. Um, but certainly it did change me and it changed my outlook on a lot of things. Okay, Virginia, let's skip a lot of years here. You grew up in, in Castlebar, where we're speaking from right now, a town of, what, 12,000 people. Um, I don't think it was a lot smaller, or was it? How, how big was Castlebar back in, in your youth? Yes, it was uh, a lot smaller and um, not as populated. However, a lot has changed over the last few years. Um, many um, industrial complexes have been built and um, several estate homes have been built and it's just got very built up over the years um, to, to what it is now I'm often humored by what you call traffic it's <laughs> um, just for my listeners all the roads here are one two lanes one going one way one going the other way there are really no uh, two-lane roads and Yes, certainly there is traffic, but it's because there's not much road capacity, if you will. And when I say 12,000 people, it's it's one of the regional centers of commerce here in Western Ireland. Um, not a very big town at all, but this is where she grew up. And, and uh, I guess in terms of it being a regional center, there's a lot of people that come from other parts of the country here to shop. So it has kind of a big feel to it, if you will. Um, I said I was going to skip a few years with your life, Virginia. Um, you were a chef here in Ireland, and uh, um, that was your first career. How rigorous was it to be certified as a chef here in Ireland? Was that pretty tough stuff? Um, yes, I, it was. I started training at quite a young age, um, 16 or 17, if I remember correctly. Um, and... Um, uh, it it was it was pretty tough and um strict um but i got through it and then i went out and did lots of work experience and i learned a lot of of um my um cooking skills if you like out in in the industry in in, in kitchens and that and um i did that for just over 10 years um and worked Work long hours, unsociable hours, doing that. But you said it was like the army. It was like boot camp. Something about if you didn't do something right, you got hit over the back of your uh, your chef's hat by uh, by one of the lead chefs. That would uh, you, you were always kind of in fear, or, or something about time. It was like a uh, you had to race around. You're always on the clock, always on your feet. Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, the training was pretty severe, pretty harsh. Um, time was a big thing. Um, 
everything was a big thing. You had to have everything very precise and very right. The chefs that were teaching us were very, very old time uh, chefs and they were very old school, if you like. And um, yeah, if you peeled a, a carrot wrong or a potato wrong or, you know, you did something they didn't like, you'd certainly get a push or, or you know, <laughs> you would be in fear um, of any mistakes that you may make along the way. So, yeah, it was pretty tough. And especially the fact that, you know, when you're doing that at a young age, you're not, um, you're not probably as, as able to deal with it. You know, you'd be that bit more sensitive. You'd, you'd be that bit more soft skinned, you know, to that sort of a, a thing. But it, it was good experience to um, help me to go on to the next level when I did go into real kitchens and real um, situations. Uh, it, it helped a lot. Okay, were you not one of the youngest cooks here in Ireland? No, no, not at all. There, there, there's, I'm sure there was many others, um, my my age doing that. Um, there was a lot older as well. There was just just many many uh, mixed stages doing it. Well, I know that you tend to be uh, largely very modest where things like that are concerned. When you say there were probably many many, um, I'd say maybe. In the whole country here, there might have been, I'd say, a dozen, if that many, female chefs, and you were one of them. Um, you told me also that one, uh, in one ho tourist hotel, uh, uh, hotel slash restaurant that you worked in, um, that during the off season you ran the entire entire operation. Can you go into a little bit of detail about that? Yeah, sure, Martin. Um... I worked in a few restaurants um, over the years and um, I was in charge of um, some of them, the running of the kitchen and just involved, um, you know, everything basically from ordering to preparing to cooking and um, it, it was, um, I guess, a pretty... Um, tough uh, job, you know, to undertake. There was a lot, you know, a lot at stake and um, everything had to be done right. And it was a good experience for me. But again, your modesty prevails once again. It seems to me here in, in Ireland uh, um, that you ran a very popular restaurant, one that uh, you had uh, queues lining up out the door for your, for, for your food. And that uh, um, you wrote, you you created the menu, you ordered the food, you you were uh, the, the kind of food people were coming to eat was were all the choices you'd made. So you had a big hand in making for that being a popular restaurant. Um, speak to that a little bit for us. Yeah, Martin, without being too mod modest, as you say. <laughs> um, I did make up a lot of menus in restaurants and. Um, Left restaurants, left a lot of restaurants with my with my my menus, and um, yeah, I guess you could say I I was you know a big part of all of that when when I was in that industry. And when you were in that industry and then in that modality, times were good. You were running some pretty high numbers. You were making good money. Um, you were buying new clothes. You uh, you had a had a home. You uh, had a nice car. Then you hit a wall. All of a sudden it became apparent to you that 
there was more. You wanted to learn a little bit more about what life was about. I think it, it seemed, if I remember you telling me correctly, something about you wanted to learn about yourself. Um, we're, we'll talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, um, I had worked um, in the catering industry for over 10 years. And um, as you know, it's it's long hours, uh, very unsociable hours. And uh, there was many times, many occasions where I wouldn't get any breaks or lunches. You're on your feet the whole time. And I don't have a problem with that. It's hard work and I love hard work and I love a challenge. However, I um, had my daughter to raise and um, I'd bought a home. I had, had um, you know, I had a lot to of other things besides to be thinking of and to put first. And I kind of thought there has to be more to life than this, um, which was working nonstop and sometimes not eating because, you know, you wouldn't have time to eat and come home physically and, and mentally exhausted and... I felt this is not the way I want to live my life and it's not the way life should be. So I decided uh, to quit my job and move forward. Okay, and it was also, I guess, during this time, you reinvented yourself. You got into success books. You became kind of a gym rat. You learned about food. You learned about spirit. You learned uh, you learned uh, a lot of things that people take for granted. You stopped partying kind of a hard thing to do here in Ireland and uh, were those hard times? Um, yes I did um, go into a journey where I was finding myself if you like and um, spending a lot more time with my daughter some quality time and giving her a great start for her education and for her life um, I read many many spiritual books I read many self-healing books self-improving books um and uh, i joined the gym i did a lot of uh challenging things in in my life to to kind of better myself and put my best foot forward for my daughter and um i had a I had a breakthrough however with regards to um parting and that um being a mother at a young age 22 years of age um you don't get to go to parties because you have priorities and my priority was my daughter and I gave up the lifestyle that my friends continued to have. I, I moved on from from my friends because I felt I had nothing in common with them anymore. Um, so it was difficult times, it was very lonely times. However, I hungered into my spiritual work and um, I um, really kept myself motivated. I did some extra courses and, and, and um, educated myself in, in other um, fields and just kept trying to improve myself and my life um, for myself and my daughter. Okay, well, you talk about other fields. You became certified as a lifeguard and, and then you went beyond that and you learned how to teach how to kids how to swim. Well, can you go in a little bit of detail about that? Yes, I am. Um, always wanted to be a good swimmer I always wanted to swim Um, I guess as a child I didn't get uh, many swimming lessons so I thought this is my chance now I have a little bit of extra time um, so I took up swimming lessons and, and I did as, as you said there um, 
became a lifeguard and then uh, did the swim teachers course and um, it was great a great achievement and um, after that then I did some other courses to um, help better myself for sales and, and, and uh, computers and um, I then applied for a job which was something totally different totally out of my fields totally uh, not in alignment with what I had been doing over the years so it was it was um, just a, a total change for me. Great. Now, now I'm going to assume when you talk about that new total change for you that uh, um, it, it involved a career change, really. It was the switch to optometry, of which now you've uh, um, got a, a credential from an esteemed university in England. And uh, um, uh, I know that you've now been working with this is six years. Can you tell us a little bit about that new industry? Yeah, um, sure, Martin. I um, after I did my my sales course and 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 that I um, applied for a job and uh, totally not even thinking I would get this job because at the same time I'd applied for many other jobs, just putting it out there and and just seeing what would become of it. But I really didn't think I would get this job, and um, out of several hundred applicants, I actually got the job and. Um, I got great training and continued to get great training with it. And um, I'm there six years and uh, I did a course out of it with um, the university and, and got my certification for that. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm still working with eyes and I, yeah, I love it. It's, it's something new, it's something different. Okay, so you've gone from working with a handful of people to now working with the public, um, has, has, has that given you a, a different uh, order of reality? Are you comfortable now in that, in that place? Um, it's a big change because I had been working in kitchens behind closed doors for many years. So it was a big step to take this job and, and be then faced with the public. Um, so I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm very used to it now, but um, it, it took a while to to adapt to it um about certainly it's, it's great to meet people and and you know you meet all kinds of people and it's fun it's, it's good and then here's here's something that I've, I've got to ask you about and it's almost really should have been at the beginning but it's more kind of a uh, a punchline if you will through all this you've raised an amazing little girl she's now 10 years old she excels in school she's extremely popular um, her her name is Eva. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to get her to to that level. Yeah, um, absolutely. It was um, difficult. There's nothing easy about raising children, as every parent knows. Um, it's very demanding and it can be stressful at times, but it's also very very rewarding. Um, it was hard to juggle work and juggle bills and pay a mortgage and, you know put my best foot forward for Eve and make sure she had the best of everything which she did um, I'm very proud of her I'm very proud of myself for the, for the work I've done with her and, and um, um, I, I gave my life up for Eva and um, you know as, as any parent would do for their child and um, I'm very proud of, of who she's become um, 
So, you know, it's, it's all been very worthwhile. Awesome. You read my book. You said that's me. It was at that point you decided you wanted to do something for mankind. And you saw me helping to build the National Bicycle Greenway. And, and you saw that as the answer to what you'd been putting out for. That you wanted to be a part of that. Can you comment on that for me? Um, basically, I, I read your book. And, um, yeah, you were very um, similar to me in um, how you got on with your life after your head injury. Um, I guess I, I, I felt, you know, I went through a lot of what you went through in a different type of a way. Um, obviously there were different scenarios with regards to wanting to help you. Um, I've always had an interest in volunteer work. I've been doing volunteer work now for, um, a long time and have great interest in it. And it's also something that I have been looking to you know that path I've been looking to 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 bring my life to is helping others. I love helping others, and um, I love to see people doing work for other people. Um, it's it's great, and and I guess um, what you were doing, yeah, I thought it was it was uh, really good. You asked me to be a part of it, and sure, I was happy to to be a part of it. Awesome. I was going through deprivation, humility training. Um, the same type of thing that I talk about in my book, How to Bike America, kind of a necessary, um, what I feel a necessary uh, um, skill one must learn in order to really have an efficacious bike ride across America. Um, at least that's how I felt like I had some of the kinds of things I had to do in order to make this highway run that I'm going to be doing from San Francisco, San Jose to Boston, a successful one. And uh, you suffered with me. As a, he coached me through some of the uh, more difficult times, all the way from over here in Ireland, no less. Um, what do you remember about about some of those days that you'd like to share? Um. Yes, I I did share all of the um, deprivation training with you. Um, I may not have been there in body, but I was certainly there. Um, very much. Um with you um and um we we spent as you know every day communicating there was not a day we did not communicate and um i saw you went through some very difficult times um and i felt it was very difficult for me to see you going through them difficult times and uh, i guess i was so far away we were so far apart you know it was difficult but I remember a few names that come to mind that that did reach out and helped you a lot which I thought was great you know that they really um showed their kindness and and really showed that they believed in what you were doing um Johnny um with the bus which was great um then you got a generator which was brilliant from John O'Leary and um, then you had Sean coming over helping you out and then you had Dawn at the garage I just thought it was amazing that all these guys were were doing all this for you and and you know they believed in you and, and saw that you were doing um this for for the, the better of the planet I was kind of reduced to very uh, uh 
low levels of survival in order to kind of keep this juggernaut, if you will, going forward. Um, I was even compromised where power was concerned. I, I, I remember it was it was so embarrassing to not even have enough AC power just to make a phone call. <laughs> and uh, you remember some of the Skype difficulties we had and some of the email difficulties and, uh, and on top of that there was the eight hour time difference. What do you remember about that? <laughs> what do I remember about that? Well, I'm glad that I'm still not in that um, scenario right now because it was pretty frustrating. Um, yeah, the um, the Skype phone calls sometimes were a little bit of a problem. Um, we may have been in the, in the middle of a conversation and, and uh, we'd get cut off or we couldn't hear each other or, oh, it was... <laughs> It was a bit of a nightmare, but um, we got through it and, and continued emailing and, and Skyping for nearly a year. And um, we got to know each other very, very well. So I guess your deprivation training, as bad as it was at the time, it was a great thing in the sense that it helped us get together and, and be strong. <laughs> Thank you, Virginia. I, I feel very blessed for that that comment. Um, you celebrate your 33rd birthday next week. I think, what, next Wednesday. Um, what does the future hold in store for you? You're telling everyone my age now, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Um, what does the future hold in store for me? Well, I try not to look into the future, if I at all can, and, and I certainly try not look look at the past unless I can take good from it. Um, but going forward, um, if I must answer the question, um, my future um, with you and, and with my faith, I know will be a very bright one and I'll ensure that it will be a very bright one. And I'll continue with my um, my, my strength and my, my, my faith and um, I'll continue to try and make this a better place for um, um, others out there and um, put my best foot forward for the MBG and, and, and you know, do anything in, in my um, power th that I can do t to help make the world a better place, I guess. Great. Awesome. Um, we're just about any, uh, just about out of time. Is there anything you'd like to add? Do you want to talk about your big brothers and sisters and big sisters, big brothers and big sisters' work, or is there anything you'd like to add that we've left out? No, Martin, that's fine. I I know you're running out of time, and 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 we leave it at that because we could talk all day, and um, I know that that you've got work to do, and I've got work to do. So, um, no, it's it's um. It's 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 great, and um, I guess I'd like to thank everybody who showed their support for us and and who who have helped us. <laughs> wow, how exciting! Um, well, um, I just want to say, awesome, Virginia. Thank you. I feel blessed that you're in my life. I feel blessed that you're a part of what I have going forward, and I'm proud to be able to say that you're part of what I'm all about. And uh, you're my life, you're my energy, you're my oxygen, and I love you, Virginia. <laughs>
thank you, Martin, for that. And um, ditto. <laughs> Yahoo. Okay. Good night. Good night, Martin. That wraps up another edition of the National Bicycle Greenway's Mountain Movers podcast series. We hope you enjoyed it. This has been NBG director and Awake Again author Martin Krieg. To access this podcast in the future and to hear other shakers and movers that we've interviewed, go to bikeroute.com.